real growth, I mean, real growth as a human being only comes when we are willing to be uncomfortable, when we are willing to push ourselves, not just physically, but mentally and emotionally. Splash 322, for throwing fire. People reporting traffic. Imagine if every moment of every day was unscheduled, unknown, and uncertain. Where you had to choose between your life and the life of another. Where you were deployed somewhere in the world to face an unknown threat and an unseen enemy. This is the podcast designed to serve those who serve us. So join me as we unpack and uncover why we do what we do when we do it from life's most extreme moments. I'm your host, Jeff Fanman, and this is Mindset Radio. All right. Welcome back. This is Jeff Bandman. You're listening to Mindset Radio with your Monday morning 30-minute hard drive here. I've got with me today uh, a guy who I feel like has become a pretty good friend, uh, who I would also call Sir Elliot Rowe, only because he's got a great (laughs) accent. Uh, Listen, Elliot is a uh, power player when it comes to high-performing coaching, uh, high-performance coaching, in the world of hypnotherapy. I've done some work with him. We're going to talk about some of that over these, of course, these episodes. But Elliot's worked with poker pros, guys on Wall Street, uh, UFC fighters, uh, rugby players, Olympian athletes, just all across the board. And really today, we're going to dive in and look at how things like self-sabotage and the crap running behind the show impedes our performance and uh, really kind of have this interesting conversation that uh, that will hopefully unfold. So I really want you to listen in today on today's episode. It's going to be a blast. Elliot, thank you so much for joining me. Hey, Jeff. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, man. Absolutely. I'm really looking forward to this. So, you know, you and I did a little work here earlier this week. It was radically life transformational. We'll talk about that a little bit later, but, you know, first what I, what I want to do is uh, really begin to kind of give a better picture. Cause I can't do what I can't do you justice for what you do. So I really want to kind of paint a picture of what you actually do and, and why you do it. Okay. So um, in general, I'm, I see myself as a performance coach. My background is hypnotherapy. And um, what I look to do is take people who are perhaps top 100 in the world at whatever they're doing um, and target them, like what's holding them back from reaching the top 10 in the world, or if they're top 10 in the world, what's holding them back from being number one in the world. Um, and I do this by helping them understand the self-sabotages that are holding them back, why those programs are running, and why they're not doing the things that they know they should really be doing to reach the top performance. And then I use other techniques to help them bring their top performance on the day when it really matters. So they can just get in the flow and perform rather than hold themselves back due to anxiety, self-sabotage, fear of failure, fear of success, those sorts of things. Um, I do that with, like you mentioned, professional athletes, poker players, Wall Street traders, uh, people in the blockchain community, founders of companies. Usually um, it's people who are dealing with very high stakes situations um, where pressure then becomes a, a huge component as to whether someone's a winner or a loser. So if you think about someone, like I had someone win the World Series of Poker main event and you're at a final table and the difference between coming first or eighth in at that final table is something like 
I don't know, probably 800,000 to $8 million. So there's yeah. a huge amount of pressure on those guys to make sure they can actually play their best when, you know, normally they're probably used to playing for $20,000 and suddenly they're playing for 8 million. And, hmm. you know, that can have a devastating impact on performance. If you let yeah. it get to you, if you, if you, um, you know, set yourself up correctly, then it's still just a game of poker, something they've done hundreds, thousands of hours of. Um, and, it, and it's that for anything. So whether it's a UFC title fight, going to the Olympics, a big day on Wall Street, everything is about bringing that top performance and not letting the pressure of the situation overcome you. Yeah. And so, see, this is interesting because this is really why I wanted to bring you on because, you know, I mean, the audience that we're talking to, cops, firemen, military guys, guys out doing stuff. I mean, clearly things are at risk. Things are at stake. Uh, there's really no question of performance. It is a yes, right? It needs to occur. And, you know, when I was growing up in the firehouse, uh, in my time in the military, really up until, I don't know, crap, five years ago or so, like, like the idea of self-sabotage was nowhere in the space. Like that's not a conversation. The guys are hanging out in the front public firehouse having like, Oh, Hey, how do you self-sabotage? That's not happening right now. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, that's like guys are like, Oh, you know, we're getting into hippie stuff, but it's really not. And so, you know, I want to talk about that really this morning because it is, it, it really is the thing that holds us back because Here's what I know about these guys in the community. One, they want to perform in the top 1% always, right? They are. They've already chosen a life that puts them into a different level. And then they want to perform at the top of that community. And they want to do their best because they're driven to serve others. They're driven to support people. And, you know, and then they want to be great husbands and wives and parents and, you know, sons and daughters, and they want to be great kind of in every aspect of their life. But there's a whole lot of challenges that kind of come in the, come in the mix there. And then we play with, and then we don't know. And then we kind of, you know, start to say, well, it was this incident or, you know, we start to kind of, we interfere with what's, or we take on what's going on in our work. And then we carry that around with us like that means something. And so this whole idea of self-sabotage that really isn't discussed. I've had Dr. Brackman on, uh, had Doug on. We'll, we're talking about self-sabotage from a couple areas. But I I have a feeling like this is going to be the conversation that continues to come up. So I, I love that. So talk to me about that. Talk to me about self-sabotage. Talk to me about things kind of running in the background, things running the show, things that interfere with my ability to make good decisions. Uh, be present in particular environments, uh, see things as they're actually occurring. Cause I think those are the, those are the critical judgments. Those are the critical moments that, that these people are facing every day. Uh, and they want to be better at it. I mean, so I think there's, there's self-sabotage there in different parts of life that you're describing. Um, mm -hmm. so, you know, we've got the balance of life, like you, you know, you were talking about. So being a good husband, good wife, good parent those sorts of things, oftentimes that, that could potentially run against the job and the work that you're doing. Mm. And you might find that, you know, the self-sabotage might not be in the work performance side here, but you might find someone taking on extra shifts and actually sabotaging their relationship somewhere around. Interesting. It. So it's like you know, hiding out. <laughs> yeah, you know, Crap, I've done that. <laughs> you know, yeah, like the, the sort of the sorry love, I have to do another shift, I've got to do it for the guys, I'm needed. You know, this being I've never done that before. 
ever. <laughs> yeah, being, being the hero, but not being the hero to your family, really. And so that would be the first thing that stands out as you're mentioning those bits and pieces, that there's probably a family side or health side of self-sabotage that, you know, people in the services are going to see. There could also be the sort of the, the excessive hero self-sabotage as well, mm. which... Um, you know, the self-sacrifice of these, these types of jobs. I mean, I, I knew a soldier who, um, unfortunately lost his life in Afghanistan. And you know, when we, we heard the stories about it, he was, you know, the guy who in all instances was, um, was asking, you know, if they were break going into a house, he'd be the one who kicked down the door. Um, right. that was his choice. That's what he was, you know, I want to be the guy who does that every time. Unfortunately, one of those times he was killed. Um, but there is a part of me when looking at the sort of like, why was the person saying, I always want to be the one doing this? Is there some level of self-sabotage, something going on that's putting them in that situation every single time? Like those sorts of things are the things that are interested for me. And I'm not saying there's obviously nothing wrong with being a hero from that side, but we want to make sure it's for the right reasons and there's nothing too strong pushing. Does that make sense, Jeff? What I'm, what I'm that makes it makes perfect sense. So yeah, so I'm I'm bringing uh, I think I'm bringing Phil McKernan on here in a couple episodes, and Phil and I have been talking about a few things because I you know listen that that drives that drives way home for me and I think a lot of other people because I knew I think you and I have talked about this I knew it like this very young age in a very visceral way that I was going to you know die this heroic death like I could I just sensed it in my body. That, that that's what was going to happen. And then, you know, of course, first guy through the door or always kind of putting things at risk and pushing the envelope in areas. And, you know, maybe not the healthiest choice out there, but yeah, there was definitely something kind of, so that makes perfect sense to me. And then you've got to think about, okay, what's the narrative that makes the child believe that they need to die a heroic death? So again, yeah. a lot of my work goes back to childhood, you know, what's going on that is making them feel that, you know, that's my way. I'm going to be the first person through the door. I'm going to put myself at that risk or whatever it might be. But, you know, there's, there's often a lot of these programs that are running for one reason or another. Oftentimes it's through difficult childhoods. The child is creating a program that, you know, resonates with them, makes them feel that they have more control over their destiny than perhaps they feel like they have. And then they continue running that program. And, you know, that's fine. And obviously in the services, you need people who are brave and who are doing those things. But it, there is something around, you know, being honest with yourself and saying, am I doing this because it's definitely the most optimal thing to do and it's the right thing to do? Or am I doing this because there's some other program running, pushing me in this seeking danger or seeking adulation or something else from that side, which I think there's always at least some percentage risk. Well, and I think there's this fear. Okay. So I think there's this fear and I, well, I will speak for myself. There's been this fear that if I'm not doing that, that I'm not doing my job or I'm not uh, doing everything I should be doing or could be doing, uh, that I'm really not pushing the envelope in certain ways and somehow then I'm not being honorable or uh, I'm being weak or weak minded. Like there's this whole component to this stuff that I think the community has this idea that that looking at things like self-sabotage or uh, 
you know, what's going on or what's running the show or, or any of these things somehow is some sign of weakness. And, you know, I actually had this as I was sitting there yesterday after our session and, and we can talk about kind of what we, what we unfolded in some ways. But I got to tell you, I really sat yesterday or the day before with the full knowledge that if I had been able to get some crap out of my way 15, 20 years ago, actually how much better I would have been at my job. And and I think that's the, it's the sort of the looking at the very short term results versus the impact that you can have over a longer term. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yes, in a short-term scenario, putting yourself in harm's way might resolve the problem in that short-term scenario. You get injured and then you're out of the game for two years. What is the actual total benefit that you had to society in that same situation? Do, do yeah. you see where I'm coming from? So, totally. So you, you need to be looking at the long-term, the bigger picture, the the wider impact that you can have on different scenarios. And again. There's always a time for heroics. Um, it's just the fact of if the heroics become your everyday life, then I would say there's a question mark as to why is that happening? Um, are you really doing the most good that you can do, putting yourself in that danger if it means taking you out of the game and then you can't help people moving forward? Yeah, you know, that's a really interesting point because we're not talking about not taking the actions necessary in the moment when the situation dictates, you know, when it's it's necessary, it's necessary. Yeah. I mean, you gotta, you know, you, you, you make your decision, throw yourself on a hand grenade. You make yourself, you you make the decision to take an extraordinary action in a particular moment that comes from somewhere else. That doesn't come from. That's an automated response. Yeah. That doesn't come from the self-sabotage standpoint. And I think that's what guys don't necessarily understand or people don't fully understand. Yeah, and I'm talking more about, hey, you know, selecting yourself for the most dangerous possible situations repeatedly over and over when, you know, potentially it's it's a choice to be choosing to put yourself in that scenario. And it sort of stands out versus what colleagues are doing. So it's really just the extreme. You know, you've probably met people over the years who those extremes have happened, that you see them continually putting themselves in very difficult situations. Um, as I say, then I would, I would question why that choice is being made. And if there's something else going on, some other reason why they're doing it. Yeah. I mean, my chief kind of had a running joke that basically said he didn't get out of bed until he heard me breathing air. Cause he knew if I wasn't breathing air, it really wasn't a big deal. Uh, you know, back in the fire service, like he didn't really, uh, he didn't worry until he heard, <laughs> you know, until he heard me actually breathing air because I always resisted because I just had a thing about it. Like I had, I don't know, it had something I had to do. And yeah, I've kind of been that guy that's maybe pushed the boundaries a little bit too much, probably put myself at risk a little bit too much, probably put my people at risk a little bit too much to kind of, you know, perform at this level. When we could have totally done exactly what we did, we could have been great at our job. We could have been super effective. We could have completely achieved the same result just without the risk associated. Hmm. Interesting. Again, again, it's a difficult one to explain. And, you know, again, obviously I understand the importance of heroics and how significant these things are. And I don't want to undermine anything that anyone's done. But I would just say, take a second if you're if you're hearing this and you're saying, "Hey, I'm the one who's always running in first every single time." 
just sort of question, okay, why am, why am I deciding to be the one who's doing that every single time? And yeah. oftentimes it goes back to childhood. Memories will come up around, you know, what could potentially be causing that mindset? And as I say, I would ask yourself, are we doing short-term maximum gains, but, but potentially not being able to help most people the most because of the, the impact that's going to have on the long-term potential? Yeah. And, and, and play full out when the, when the situation dictates, like go for it, you know, really oh, when, when it dictates, you've got yeah. to give it a hundred percent. Yeah. Go no all the way, all out, full out. And you chose a life that you chose a job and a role that your life's at risk. And, you know, if, if that happens, that happens. And, you know, there's a difference between being honorable and being stupid, I think. And if we get right down to it, if we call it like it is, uh, yep. you know, yeah, there, there really is. And so I think, I think understanding that's such a critical role. So, all right. So let's talk hypnosis real quick, right? Cause, ooh, <laughs> you know, let's, let's talk about this uh, weird thing that nobody really wants to do. And they, I don't want them to hypnotize me and all this. You know, there's clearly like mindset. There's a bunch of garbage out there about what it is and how it works and what goes on. And really what I want to do is kind of bring some reality to that, you know, just the function of it and what occurs and what happens. And then we talk a little bit about our stuff um, that we accomplished. And yeah. So, so the first thing is, you know, obviously the media portrayal of it, stage shows causes a lot of is issues with hypnosis, hypnotherapy. So what you see on a stage or what you see on TV isn't actually what hypnotherapy is. That's, um, you know, they're very clever at what they do. They're very good at audience selection. It works on about two to 5% of the population. So the bigger the crowd, the better the, um, you're talking the, the extreme stuff that you see, it's, the showy stuff. Yeah. The stuff, on yeah. The, the stuff on the stage. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. so what they do is they, they, they select the people very carefully. Um, and then there's a lot of social pressure. So people feel obliged to do things and there's some small amount of hypnosis in it. The work that I do with hypnotherapy, hypnotherapy itself as a therapy is much more like guided meditation. So when someone says, I can't be hypnotized, most people can't be hypnotized to go on stage and do something stupid. They're, they're completely right. Right. But you can be hypnotized in terms of getting yourself into a meditative state because most people could agree that it would be possible for them to meditate if they try. So the work that I do is like a form of guided meditation. The person reaches this very deep state of relaxation. And in that state, you're accessing the subconscious mind rather than the conscious mind. So if we're having a conversation right now and I say, Hey, you know, what does it feel like when you're in those high pressure situations? When else have you felt that way? It might not be very easy to connect memories to it hmm. in a hypnotized state. These memories just pop up and you'll see these connections and everything will start to make more sense because if your subconscious is doing something irrational. So if you're doing something, you know, isn't logical, your subconscious knows why it's doing that. Otherwise it wouldn't be doing it. So if we can tap into the subconscious, it will bring up the memories. It will bring up the reference points and then we can release the emotions from those. We can reframe those so that you're running a more effective program moving forward. And that's what most of the work is on self-sabotage, fear of failure, fear of success, anxiety issues, fears, whatever it may be. We're looking to understand where was that program created and developed? How can we go back and change that program? So it's a bit like having a computer and then going into the operation system and changing a line of code. And that's mm -hmm. how I view hypnotherapy and how it works. 
clients. Yeah, no, and it's and the impact's been pretty profound. So you and I did a session. So I've been struggling, uh, you know, and it's wreaked havoc in my life. But I would say pretty much now, I mean, I turned forty five in October, so I've pretty much been angry and extremely anxious or highly frustrated, on edge, agitated, whatever whatever description you want to use of me, uh, pretty much for about 45 years, <laughs> pretty much my entire life. And, you know, we talked a little bit before the show where, you know, when we get this way, you know, if you look at symptoms coming out of this world, out of the, out of the high stress environments, right out of the fire service, out of the military, out of law enforcement community, you know, that cause, moral injury or PTSD that cause all these things, you know, stress, anxiety, frustration, quick tempered anger, whatever they may be, you know, and, and my wife would have been like, okay, you know, I want you to get some help. What happened? This and that. I'm like, I, you know, none of that lived for me. Like that was something. Um, and I could never figure it out. And, and then it was a frustrating thing. Cause then it's like, stop trying to label me. No, that's not it. Like I had no idea what was going on and I really didn't fully understand how I was being. So one, I kind of had to accept that. All right. I'm, I'm pretty much on edge most days. I'm, you know, a lot of things will cause me anxiety or frustration very quickly. So it kind of had to go through that journey. And then I reached out to you and said, okay, can we, can we take a look at this thing? Cause I don't know what's there. Uh, and, uh, so you and I got together, uh, we did a little, <laughs> a little session and crazy interesting what we find out. Right. And just, you know, fully aware of everything the entire time. Just like you said, getting into that relaxed state, that high state of relaxation. Uh, you helped me kind of walk me through a couple different areas. And, you know, we begin to actually uncover things that happened as an infant, as a young boy, uh, and all the way through. And it was, it was, it was pretty crazy the impact that we could see. And, and that's quite typical. Um, you know, so, so most of that programming that, that we have as humans is built in, in, in the first seven years of our life. Hmm. So the majority of how we shape the program that we're going to work moving forward is in that period of life. So if you're in a high stress environment in that period, oftentimes there's going to be anxieties or frustrations or angers that get held onto and then are a repeating pattern moving forward. What happens, um, later on is as you get older, the things that impact you have to be more traumatic to be able to indent. Mm. So, so as you get to your teenage years, yes, there'll be some things that come up, but usually it will have. So prior to seven, it can be a subtle comment that just becomes something that you hold on to forever. As you get into teenage years, it's probably going to be violence or sexual assault or something like that. And then as you get into adult life, violence can still do it. And that's what PTSD is, is sure. when something traumatic enough happens that it can embed in the same level it would have done in childhood um, as creating a new fear or phobia or stress or whatever right. it might be. Mm -hmm. um, so the majority of my work is we are talking about things sub seven years old, seven, you know, zero to 10 usually. Um, they don't have to be these massively traumatic events in all cases. But these memories come up and, you know, I've had 60 year old men crying over the fact someone stole their apple in kindergarten. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it sounds ridiculous, but it's real. But, and they had held on to that level of emotion and they didn't know it was there. And after the session, you know, their anger was gone. 
And, you know, this is someone, you know, these sorts of things come up an awful lot. And it's because, um, yeah, this is, if you imagine sort of as an evolutionary perspective, you know, you see a tiger as a baby, you're not scared of a tiger because you don't know to be scared. Mm -hmm. Your mother screams, responds. You learn to have a fear of, fear of tigers because your mum screams. So as an evolutionary thing, it's really useful to be able to pick up fears and anxieties quickly based on the responses of adults that are yeah. around you. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I grew up in a very stressed based environment, a lot of anger, a lot of fear, never knowing what's going to happen, never knowing are we going to yield that? Are we going to get, you know, and things done about like, it? Yeah. Yeah. If, if you think about it, you were basically setting yourself up. The world is a dangerous place and I have to always be on edge and I always have to be ready because mm -hmm. the world is a dangerous place. And that then just repeated from that age. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then so I created a, created more of it along the way. Yep. So then you choose to go into a life of service and danger and you're proving to yourself that you're right. The world is a dangerous place because you're continually putting yourself in places that are dangerous. Yeah. So you're, you're basically fulfilling the, fulfilling the, the narrative of your life you created as a child because that's where you were comfortable because that the world is dangerous and scary and I have to be, I have to deal with it in a certain way. Okay. The fire brigade's attractive. You know, the army's attractive because that makes sense. Yeah. And I, I think, uh, you know, a lot of people in the services may find that this resonates with them as well, that there are some things that may have pushed them in this direction because of that chaos and trying to take control of that chaos or, or something like that. Yeah. Now, you said, you said before the show, I, I want to interrupt you here real quick because you said before the show, and this is what I want to carry into our next session that'll come out later this week, which is, you know, quite possibly there is a whole community of us out there that, that aren't keyed to an incident from our service. It's not necessarily a PTSD issue. It's something that, happened a long time ago that really drove us to be in that, that world in the first place. Yeah. And I think, I think that's something, you know, I've seen, I've, I've worked with people in the military before I've worked with police who've had these significant PTSD issues and oftentimes they actually end up going even earlier. They, they, you know, they assumed that the issue was the PTSD, you know, the traumatic event and that definitely had emotion around it. Sure. But they've ended up talking about, See events prior to that much younger in their life and the resolution of those events seem to have an even bigger impact than the resolution of the PTSD event. Yeah. So it's just a slightly different narrative. Um, and it's not the case for everybody, but there's certainly, there's been a number of people where I've seen they were carrying something before the PTSD happened. And that was the key to unlocking the stress and anxiety that they were holding on to. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's, that hits the nail on the head right there. And, and I got it, you know, that's just, I don't feel like that's a conversation we're having uh, in the community. Like that's, uh, that's just life. I mean, that's, that's, that is the reality of most situations and most scenarios is there's kind of something in the background uh, that when we actually deal with it, and this is where I wanted to say, like the last few days, I feel, I feel like I've left, I feel like I've lost an entire person. Like I feel I've laughed more. I have been, you know, driving, like I, I turned the radio on in the car the other day, which I never have done. Like I drive the car radio, you know, radio's off silence in the car. You know, I'm, I'm hyper-focused. Uh, don't add any more stress to me. 
turn the radio up, you know, been more pleasant with my kids, uh, been more pleasant with my wife. My wife, I told you this morning, my wife said to say thank you. Uh, and you know, I just, I, I feel, I don't know, freed up, like unrestricted. Like it's okay. Like life's actually okay right now. And it's pretty crazy. Like I'm kind of sitting around going, is this real? Is this going to, is this going to last? Is this going to stay? Is this going to, you know, it's, so it's a very uh, interesting feeling, but I got to tell you, like just literally in the course of, you know, a day, wow, pretty, pretty cool impact. And, you know, and I think that's a gift, right? That's a gift to the world. And at the end of the day, I, I don't feel like I lost anything that made me who I am, that, that, you know, made me be a fireman, that made me be, uh, you know, military guy that made me go into the services that made me do what I did and make those choices. I don't feel like I'm less than anything. I don't feel like I lost any of that. I mean, I could still go run into a burning building if I really needed to. I would still kind of be this, this man of action. Um, but, but the difference is you're not going to be on an alert level 10 the rest of the time when there isn't a building on fire. And I think that's the difference is the, the turning down the dial oh, for everyday yeah. life. You can, you can turn it up again when it's needed, but you don't want to be on this sort of high alert 24 seven because the world's a dangerous place and I need to be a hundred percent because reality is you're just going to damage your own health doing that and put yourself in, in difficult scenarios. Well, before we wrap up, here's the question that got me that you asked me when you asked me how I rate myself one to 10, where I am in anxiety, frustration, anger, when I get up in the morning, like, where do I start when I wake up? And, you know, I'm already at an eight or nine. Uh, when Morgan looked at me the other day, when I said, you asked me that question, she's like, what are you, 15? Uh, so, but I'm already like, I'm already on the edge. I don't have the bandwidth. I don't have the space to go anywhere else. So literally if I'm getting out of bed at an eight or a nine, before I even get my coffee in, I'm out of 10, right? Something has occurred that I'm already at a 10. I'm already at max level. And so my space to operate is so, has been so small in life. And then you ask me the question, how long it's been like that? And when I really honestly took a look at that, I think I said to you pretty much my whole life. I mean, I can't remember a time that that wasn't the case, that I didn't wake up that way. And, you know, and so I want to, you know, in this, in this first episode, I want to leave with everybody like that's, I think we live there a lot. Like we're, we live in that tight zone. We don't have, we don't have the space and that actually inhibits our performance it inhibits us on our job. It inhibits us in our decision-making and it sure as hell impacts our family life, you know, and coming home and dealing with our wives or our husbands or our children, you know, our mothers or our fathers or whatever it is. And, and it completely impacts everything else. So kind of my question out the audience this morning, as we wrap up today's podcast is where are you one to 10 frustration, anxiety, irritation, whatever it may be, whatever you want to call it. Where are you when you wake up in the morning and how long have you been there? So I want you to think about that. Now uh, we're going to transition. We're going to get on to the next episode. Uh, tune in Wednesday uh, for a little bit more of Elliot. We're going to go to a deep dive conversation, get into some of this stuff, talk about it. I hope you enjoyed today's show. Uh, remember, visit opmindset.com slash mindset radio. All the show notes will be up there. All the links for Elliot and his social media. Do me a favor. Go follow him. Go support him. 
Uh, he actually really gives a shit about us, and I appreciate that about him. Uh, and so please get in, follow up with that stuff. Thanks for joining us today, and we'll see you on Wednesday. Listen, this closes out Episode 5, and I just want to take a minute and say thank you very much for those of you that have downloaded, subscribed, shared this podcast. I hope that it's going well. I hope that you're getting something from it. And I just wanted to take this opportunity to make the request of you that if there are things that you would like to hear or things that aren't working for you, please let me know. Please go head over to opmindset.com. Send me a note. Let me know. I'm doing my best with this. Uh, I know some of the audio quality is up and down a little bit over the last five episodes. I'm working to correct that. Uh, but, you know, I really appreciate your support and I need your continued support in really bringing this show to the level that I can see that it can go to. So tune in Wednesday. We're going to get down more with Elliot real quick. Do me a favor. I'd really appreciate it if you'd take a second and head over and check out the guys at BruteForceTraining.com. They're an amazing company. And I met those guys just over a year ago, picked up a sandbag, started working out with it. It has truly been probably one of the most radical aspects to my fitness. Like one of the things that have changed my entire perception of working out. So if you haven't used it yet or you've seen those guys and you're just not sure, listen, it's really one of the best pieces of equipment and programming out there. So do me a favor, pop over. Again, BruteForceTraining.com. Use coupon code OPMINDSET. Those guys will give you a discount. I've kind of tried to do my best to negotiate with them uh, to show some love out, but go check them out. They're a huge supporter of ours, this podcast, our show, and the OPMINDSET platform. So just do me a favor and show them some love. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for subscribing. Thanks for downloading. If you haven't done it yet, please stop by, rate and review the episode. That's huge. It's a huge aspect. It does so much for uh, who also sees the show. So if you would do that, I would so appreciate it. Thanks so much, and we'll see you on Wednesday.